Hey, Park Hill Church family, this is Evan Wickham, and this is the teaching for the weekend. We are going to walk through... Who's we? Hey, who am I with? (laughs) With Scott Kern. Yes, we, Scott and I, are going to walk through uh, 1 Corinthians kind of as a dialogue. We're going to do the teaching in a conversation format, so that's going to be really, I think, uh, relational. It'll feel like we're right there in the room with you, and you can listen on a run or there at home with your family. Um, and yeah, but first we want to pray because we are stepping into a, a new season as a church, um, out of respect to the government and out of love for the vulnerable neighbors around us. We are moving now into what we're calling Park Hill Church Together at Home. Zoom community meetings, Sunday morning live worship, uh, all uh, digital, all online, And uh, we're also going to have daily prayer starting uh, next Monday, the 23rd of March. Daily prayer. All of this is available at parkhillsd.church right now. Um, You'll be able to see what we're doing. And a big part of that is these teachings. We're going to record them every week, just like this. And uh, today, Scott is kind of going to spearhead the the dialogue teaching through 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 23. Uh, first, uh, we'll pray, though. You want to pray, Scott? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your uh, protection and your provision over this time, and mm. um, we seek your presence and uh, your favor over your people, yeah. and we thank you for, for being present uh, to your church and, and not abandoning your church um, in times that feel lonely and isolated. Would you... Holy Spirit, come and um, and dwell in us even more. Um, yes. Let us realize your presence in our lives even more as we move in uh, through each of our days. Um, as as it feels like more information gets thrown at us every single second, um, would you steady our hearts, steady our minds, um, and we, would we focus on you throughout this time? And would you reveal to us your heart and your will um, for our lives, for our churches, for our cities, and ultimately for the world? pray all this in your name. Amen. 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 Yeah, so we'll start with just a quick recap. Man, uh, last Sunday feels like months ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with all that's Seriously. gone on around us. So we, we felt like it'd be good to, to just briefly recap where we've been in 1 Corinthians. Um, we started by looking at Paul the Apostle. Paul was a man who was highly educated as a Jewish scholar. Um, and he uh, had Roman and Greek kind of cultural upbringing. So he was a intersection of cultures at the time. He was the man for the job to bring the gospel um, across lines that would normally divide people. And so he, uh, he was this anti-Christian activist on behalf of the Jewish elite uh, until Jesus met him. And Jesus transformed his life. The power of the good news of the risen Jesus uh, encountered Paul uh, in a way that turned him into the most prolific uh, biblical author in the New Testament and uh, the most effective church planter in the early church. And he wrote this letter after an 18-month stint in Corinth. He planted the church in Corinth, which is a city you can go to now in Greece on an isthmus, fun word to say. Um, And this isthmus made Corinth a really rich city because commerce was going from sea to sea. 
across the city. And so Paul planted this church in this city that was a lot like America, um, a city that was known for its uh, excess and wealth and entertainment and all of that. And, uh, and he's encouraging now, he's writing this church, years after he visited them, he's writing this letter to this church saying, hey, I want, I want to remind you, church, no matter what happens, no matter um, what hardships you face or what culture is saying or doing, I, I want to remind you to think like Jesus. Think the, in the way of the cross, not in the way of secular culture, no matter what happens, no matter how hard it is or how great it is. Keep thinking the thoughts of Christ. And a big point that he makes is like, hey, uh, you have the mind of Christ. But before he gets there, he talks about the problem that they're facing. Uh, what problems was the church in Corinth facing at the time, Scott? So yeah, so divisions are happening um, in the church of Corinth, and it's usually based off of leaders. So um, Paul starts off saying that some of you in Chloe's household are bringing up these divisions of people saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, and that these are the sources of divisions um, that are happening within the church. And Paul is calling the church to unity um, as opposed to division over their leaders. And he goes into the reason that we're thinking like this is because we are thinking um, as humans do as opposed to what God is doing um, and how God thinks of the church. And so Paul begins to talk about how we understand life in the spirit and that when we become aware of the spirit in our lives and are intact with, uh, with the spirit, we are no longer walking what he, he, he uses that dichotomy of, of the flesh and the spirit. Yeah. Um, and so when we are thinking in, in line with the flesh, this is where the divisions happen. We start thinking of leaders yeah. as um, the ones who we should be following in the church as opposed to Jesus. And so he begins to say, you, he starts calling them out really hard too. If you are now thinking like humans do, you are acting in the flesh, not in the spirit. And so he's reminding the church in Corinth uh, to be in step with the spirit, live um, as opposed to human wisdom, live in the wisdom of God. um, And that will hopefully bring you into the right understanding of who you, who your leaders are. Um, and I think what you talked about a couple of weeks ago when it was um, talking about the words that Paul is using of mm. wisdom, spirit, knowledge, oh, yeah. um, is a helpful way to to understand how the Greek culture understood those words versus how Paul wants us to understand those words um, in the spirit. Um, right. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If you would have asked Jesus, Jesus, how's your spiritual life? Or Moses or ancient Jews, how's your spiritual life doing? Uh, they would have, I think, looked at you with a blank stare. Yeah. Like, the, like you mean, what do you mean spirit? You mean life, just life? Like there was no bifurcation of, you know, spiritual, mystical, and then normal every day. It was all filled with God, creation, and uh, creation was completely governed and permeated by the Creator, and His Spirit was in all and through all and sustaining all. And so Paul's saying, hey, wake up to that. Don't live as if atheism were true. Don't live as though there is no God. Live as though He is everywhere, as though there is a triune relational love that we are called into. Basically, that looks like the spiritual life. That looks like living well, practicing the way of Jesus with your community. And uh, 
And so he, yeah, like you said, he's telling his, he's telling his precious church in Corinth, you're not living this way. Um, and he goes so far as to calling them uh, spiritual infants. Like they're Christians, but they are, they're like 25 years old, still on milk, and they haven't even stepped into the good stuff. They haven't stepped into full life in God. Um, because they're all caught up on thinking like mere humans, thinking secular thoughts, dividing over silly things. And uh, that, which brings us to our text, First um, Corinthians three, verses five through eight. I'll just read that, and then uh, Scott, maybe you can unpack it. First um, Corinthians three, five through eight. Paul's like, "What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? These leaders you're dividing over." He's saying they're only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Yeah, I think this is, as Paul's saying, you are understanding things by a worldly perspective. When you start to come into understanding um, how the world works in the life of the Spirit, he's kind of doing that. If you are living life in the spirit, how do you address Paul and Apollos? How do you think of them yeah. um, as you are living life in the spirit? And he's like, it's, it's servants. Yeah. They're just servants of God. Yeah. All uh, of us. Yeah. The Paul can't make the growth. Apollos can't yeah. make the growth. The leaders of the church aren't the ones making the growth. Yeah. Um, that they are just servants doing the tasks that they have been given by God, yeah. uh, faithfully so working. So encouraging. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, contrary, I mean, you were in a consumer culture where it seems like the best branders, the best marketers are doing the growth. Yeah. It seems like that. Uh, uh, but in, in, in reality, in God's reality, the true eternal growth that's happening is not happening by human ingenuity alone. It's happening by spirit animated behavior, animated by the spirit of God. It's God that's doing the growth. And for me, this is encouraging personally. I know it's encouraging for all of us, but it's like, like how, right now, considering where we're at, how do you grow a church during a pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you, I mean, I'm getting texts and I'm on like text threads from pastors all over the place right now. And when we're praying for each other, we're sharing ideas. I, there's, there's so many meetings between pastors this week on like think tanks on how to keep our churches going um, when we can't gather. I mean, we're wondering how to respond. We're offering help, and it's mostly awesome and beautiful. I mean, imagine what it's like for a pastor where our livelihood is kind of based on gathering people, and there's a gathering ban. Yeah. Um, like we're scrambling, and hopefully it's spirit-led scrambling, and it is. It's beautiful, and it's intense. And, and to, to be transparent, it's a source of anxiety uh, for me. But it keeps me coming back to this text, this question, um, like, what can I do to grow this thing in this crazy moment? And Paul's answer here is like, Evan, like, Scott, Miles McPherson, Ray Bentley, uh, Nick Fox over at Commonwealth, hey, Mark Wymore at Soul Church, Weston over at Captivate, hey, all you guys, um, you don't grow it. None of you grow this thing. Yeah. Like, none of you, you can't grow. That's, God's like, only I can Maybe now you'll finally figure that out. Like, God is growing his field right now. And according to Paul, we leaders 
even as we're recording this podcast, this isn't growing it. This is watering it, serving it, yeah. planting seeds. That's all we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And God is expanding his kingdom, even now. Yeah. I mean, I experienced it the same thing, too, as we were talking earlier, just about how the, how quickly things changed, even just within the last week of um, meetings and everything, and and the anxiety that that I was personally feeling, I think so many people have been feeling, um, as things were changing so quickly, and thinking about preparing a sermon for the upcoming Sunday, and <laughs> mm-hmm. just thinking like, oh my gosh, there's so much happening. How do I, as a leader, speak to this? And putting all that weight on me as if what I said on Sunday or what I was going to be saying throughout the week was ultimately going to be the most important thing for the church. Yeah. Um, and well, then just to hear the Spirit saying, it's not about you. Yeah. Like, you you are a servant at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and that was humbling, having to come to terms with, you are not that important. And I think yeah. especially in our culture, we tend to to think of the leaders, whether it's in, in politics or mm. culture, like mm. within social media or within the church, that the yeah. specific leaders are the ones who need to have everything. They need to be the ones growing it. Um, and if they're uncertain uh, about the outcome of something, then ultimately everything's going to fail. Um, yeah. And Paul's reminding us that, that that's, that's not the case at all. It's never been the case. Yeah. And And yeah, I think during times of abundance, we're just not attuned to the rea- the reality. We're like, oh, that church is growing over there. This church is doing this cool, cool event over there, and everything seems to be growing. But it's really been God through plagues and through war and through peace. It's been God all along, yeah, growing. And uh, this is no this is no different. So as you're listening to this, God is at work in you. God is at work in your children. Yeah, and He's at work in your marriage. And I know this time is adding an unexpected weight of pressure on marriages and on singleness. God is at work in your singleness, in all your relationships. And He is growing you because you are part of His church. You are part of His body. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is, this is a message of hope unlike any other. And we're seeing it, we're seeing it now with layers of our egos being pulled back. Leaders and community leaders and mentors... Worship leaders and counselors, all, all, everyone who serves in the church, none of, none of us are the agents of, of growth. God is the agent of growth, and we are all um, serving, planting, seeding. Yeah. It's so encouraging. Yeah, and Paul brings this back into, I think he's bringing this into focus for the unity thing, is, is when he talks about um, the, the one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose. Mm. Um, and so for us to understand that are that ourselves as leaders um, and those in the church, when we are unified in our purpose, um, is when we can really see God bring the growth. Yeah. It's not about us, but the the more that we come in, into unity as servants of Jesus, is when we can see that that growth, um, which then leads Paul into saying, verse um, verse nine. Yeah. So in in verse nine, he he brings it up, saying, "For we." Um, addressing himself and the leaders are co-workers in God's service, and then you, the church, are God's field and God's building. Mm. Um, so he's switching uh, for us as as spirit-led people uh, the view of our leaders, and then now he's switching to um, 
from leaders as servants and now how we address ourselves as the church as a whole. We're his field. We're his field. And he's building us. We're his building. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And so uh, then he moves into this this statement about judgment and testing leaders. So now he puts leaders like us on the spot. And he says, verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using, and he says, gold, silver, costly stones, and he says, wood, hay, or straw, if anyone builds using those materials, expensive or cheap, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what's been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will still be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. How, how, do you, how are you unpacking that, Scott? Yeah. So, I mean, Paul is, I mean, first, yeah, he's, he's addressing the leaders mm-hmm. um, and how this isn't a salvation issue, mm-hmm. but it is about how leaders leading their ministries and how they're going to be judged by God. Uh, through it all. And he's using actually a, an image and a picture that people in Corinth would be familiar with at the time. Um, in 146 BC, um, Corinth as a city was ransacked and burned. And um, by the time that, and then it becomes a Roman colony in 44 BC. And by yeah. the time Paul's there ministering to Corinth, uh, you'd be walking around the city and you could see how the building's being rebuilt after this fire. Yeah. Um, especially in an ancient culture, it takes much longer to, to rebuild infrastructure after such a devastating ransacking and burning. Mm. Um, you could see how the buildings were being built, some with stone, um, some, yeah, with metals, or you could see also it'd be like hay or straw or wood. And so Paul's drawing on this metaphor of, of uh, your ministry is also going to be judged. You can see that if anything like this were to happen again, those houses that were rebuilt with bad materials are going to get burnt up again. Gotcha. So you're saying this isn't, when you say it's not a salvation issue, you're saying this fire, this testing, it's not, you know, who's in and who's out of God's family. What he's saying is there's reward right. for faithfulness yeah. in God's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and your leaders will be re- rewarded according to their faithfulness and the authenticity of the work, the quality of their work. Yeah. Taking the weight of that what I do as as a minister is going uh, to be tested by God. Yeah. And um, if it is built on, on something that is not Christ and not the foundation yeah. of our faith, um, if it's built on myself, my personality, my prowess, which is what Paul's been talking about, um, if people are going to leaders for that specific thing, it'll, it'll get burnt up. Yeah. You're not going to be... Uh, sent to hell as a leader because of it, but you, your ministry is going to suffer yeah, um, yeah, yeah. because of it. That line is haunting to me. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but this last week has felt like fire. Yeah. Like it's felt like, um, yeah, uh, the heat has been turned up, not just when I turn on the news, but when I turn to, toward my wife and kids mm-hmm. and, and toward those that I'm called to love, I just, I just sense what's really inside of me is spilling out in surprising ways. And I guess this is, um, 
it's an important time to be honest and transparent as believers, as leaders, and with our communities. And I just, if, if, Paul, if Paul's saying that leaders will be rewarded according to the authenticity of their faithfulness, um, I just know that this last week was really ugly for me. Like, God, someone asked me recently, Evan, what was the greatest victory from the last five days when this crisis hit? And I'm like, well, I think the greatest victory for me, and I, I told him, the greatest victory has been an anti-victory, mm. like an anti-hero of a movie, yeah, where he's not the good guy, but he, but you're rooting for him still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's been me. I've been like the, the anti-victor because I'm having a day with my family last week, and the news starts rolling out, gathering bands, and certain areas are being quarantined, and... Uh, and I'm supposed to be present with my family, and I feel so self-important. I feel so so much self-importance that I I need to be on my phone solving the world's problems and my team's problems and being when I'm actually all of my energy was actually making my team more anxious and pulling me away completely from my family. Um, and my wife would be like, "Hey, Evan, I know you're like called to lead, but right now, like this, you're not you're not helping." <laughs> Yeah. You're uh you're hurting your family by pulling away. And I'm like in my heart, my soul, like my anxiety level would raise and I'd be like, hey, to my wife, I'd be like, hey, stop. You're you're not for me. I need to save the world. And my ego would inflate even more. And just realizing my my even the way I wanted to serve my church was was compelled by anxiety and pride. Yeah. I'm sure all of us are experiencing n- new ways new reactions, new feelings, new interpersonal dynamics now, new fears. And, and it's all a test. I'm not saying God is sending us the te- this test at all. That's not yeah. my point. Mm-hmm. But it is a fire that is showing you what's inside. And it's showing me what I'm made of. Yeah. And I'm seeing it's, it's not all pretty. Mm-hmm. It's ugly, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, he... And, and, it's not worthy of reward. Yeah, I think for everyone, this time is is bringing out um, both in leaders of churches and just every single person in the church. It, it's testing, um, yeah, what what we are made of. Um, the the anxiety that I carried throughout this week and didn't didn't feel like I had an outlet for it, and so I just kept it pent up inside of me and um, took almost a week and a half for me to actually uh, come to our community and and say I've been in operating this low to mid-grade anxiety for so long yeah. um, and even being afraid to to bring it to God at times and and having to realize that there are still aspects inside of me that have yet <laughs> to be refined by by the fire and I think um, in some aspects it's it's good to, yeah. to have those things brought up and, and see um, what we're made of and, and Paul's using this and he's also drawing on um, the analogy or the the metaphor that Jesus uses at the end of the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Mm, one of my kids just came in. This is church at home, guys. <laughs> yeah, together, exactly. together at home. Yeah, so he's drawing on the end of the Sermon on the Mount um, in chapter 7 when Jesus talks about the, uh, those who put the, the teachings of Jesus that he just went through mm. into practice mm. um, are like the man who built um, his house on a rock. So my gosh, I forgot that you, you, you drew this parallel. Yeah. Unpack this. Yeah. So he, so, so those who put the, the teachings of Jesus into practice are like the man who built it 
his house on a rock. Um, and when the winds came and the storm comes, mm. it is able to stand firm and hold. And those who don't put Jesus' words into practice are like the man who built his house on the sand. Mm. When, the, when the storm comes, the waters <laughs> oh hit, my gosh. it gets washed away. Um, and It's Paul's, the same. Yeah, Paul's drawing on this. He's taking the teachings of Jesus, um, which is also cool to know that, that Paul um, is so aware of these teachings of Jesus because Paul's writings are before the Gospels are even written. So we right. know that Paul's, right. Paul's drawing specifically from Jesus' teachings and, and now teaching Corinth through that um, and seeing how in times like this, are we putting Jesus' teachings into practice? Are we building our lives on the foundation of Jesus and his teachings? Yeah. Or are we building it on something else? And ultimately, times like these, yeah. uh, testing times are going to show yeah. where we've built our lives. Yeah, this, this, te- this time of crisis is pouring rain, rising water, mm-hmm. destructive wind. And, and we've, bu- we've all built our lives on something, and the storm is going to show. What we've built. And Paul's using the fire. Where Jesus uses water, Paul's using fire to make the same point. Yep. Whatever you've built with, the fire will eat it up if it's flammable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's not flammable, if it's heavenly substance, then it's going to shine as mm-hmm. gold responds to fire, as gems respond to fire, as silver responds to fire. And I just personally, I've, I've seen how much in me is, is flammable yeah. and combustible. And I just have to repent. Lord, just break, like replace all of the flammable, combustible stuff in my heart with your gold and silver. Lord, may I choose to stand in your presence Mm -hmm. and abide and curate my media so that I don't take my behavioral cues from the binary, polarized shock talk of the world. And um, may I root myself in the culture of heaven. This is the whole like wisdom of the world, wisdom yeah. of the cross. This mm-hmm. is it. Like if I'm rooted in the wisdom of the world, if my behavior mirrors that of social media more than Jesus, it these tests will show it. Yeah, and both both uh, fire and water have good and bad aspects to them. They're both destructive and yet they also fire purifies yeah. things and then water will bring life to yeah. the areas that it's that it's been uh, yeah. washed over. And so it's cool to see how um, these different aspects, these different uh, analogies that both Jesus and Paul use are um, to actually both they can be destructive for people who are not prepared and not ready. Yeah. Um, but then they're also good for yes. those who have, and it shows the work of those who yeah. have been prepared. That's true, and we've been seeing that preparedness from so many people in our yeah. church. Mm-hmm. And I just, if you're if you're listening right now, I want to commend you, Park Hill family and beyond. If you, uh, so many of you have emailed in to help and to be part of the healing process for people that are hurting, um, and it's been beautiful to watch. We've seen so much encouraging communication happen, and and it's beautiful. And so many are responding with gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so many, and it's it's just humbling to me. So well done. Uh, we could read yeah. on verse sixteen and seventeen. First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen. Uh, do you, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together, you together are that temple. And so I, 
I think it'd be cool if Scott cleared up kind of some misconceptions around this verse. I know we tend to read this a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Typically when we hear that. What does it mean to be God's temple? Yeah. It's typically described as like, oh, don't get tattoos because your body is, is God's temple or don't eat the wrong kinds of food because your body is God's temple, which is true. And Paul actually does get into it in chapter six when he's talking about sexuality um, and sinning against your body, which is God's temple. But here he's actually using um, that plural form of you that we've talked about as a church um, that we don't have in English, but it's a plural you. So y'all, y'all, y'all are God's temple. (laughs) Y'all are God's temple. Every single one of you in the church is God's temple. So this is a communal. Every every communal one of you, like every yeah. local church, yes. you are God's temple together. Yes. Um, and so what Paul's talking about here too is he he's drawing on the whole you are God's field, and then when you are God's building, he's clarifying it here. Don't you know? Like, are you not aware? Which feels kind of like that parent. Like when you go do something that you know you shouldn't be doing, they're like, don't you know you're not supposed to be doing that? Yeah. Paul's doing that with them saying, don't you know that God's building, when you are God's building, you are God's temple. Yeah. All of you together. He's living in and with us. Yeah. All of us together. Mm -hmm. As a community of people filled by the spirit, um, we are God's temple. Even together at home. Yep. Even together at home, even through Zoom conversations and prayer. Um, we are God's temple. It's this beautiful y'all local church together at home, together, wherever you are, Mm -hmm. you are this space where God inhabits. Yeah. And the, and the thing that happens when he's talking about, if you destroy God's temple, the communal temple of God, God will destroy you. It's a serious accusation. And he's doing it within this conversation about division, um, and unity. So together in unity, we're God's temple. But when someone comes in and divides the temple of God, that's where the destruction comes and yeah. so he's warning against. Wow. Um, so it's still the division thing. It's still for, for four chapters. He's like, stay together. Yeah. And if you and if these kinds of things are happening, where you're thinking worldly and saying we're going to divide up over our leaders, we're going to divide up over political persuasions, we're dividing the church. Yeah. Um, and Paul's like, that's a serious thing to happen. Don't don't think that this is something small, um, as some flippant like we can just leave and go off and do something else. You're vandalizing God's house. Yeah. You are tearing it apart. You're breaking it down. Man. So yeah, he's making this point. God's house matters to God. We are God's house. Stay together. Think the way God thinks, not the way the world thinks. Mm-hmm. And then he moves on to verse 18. Don't, de- don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, secular wisdom, you should become fools. You should abandon secular wisdom so that you may become wise, and that's God's wisdom. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, and he quotes from Job, he catches the wise in their craftiness. <laughs> and again, and uh, I forget where he quotes the second time. Do you remember? Uh, this is Psalm 94. Psalm 94. And mm-hmm. again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. And so he's reiterating the point he's been making all along for multiple chapters, the world, uh, and by world, he means this secular age, it, it is bent against the way of the cross. The way of the cross is an oxymoron. It's a crucified king yeah. that we not only worship, but represent. We represent the crucified king by being the crucified community shaped like the cross, living self-sacrificially for a world in need of healing. Um, a executed liberator, 
is an oxymoron, yeah. and, and yet and yet God willingly became the executed liberator to to truly liberate, and to bring actual freedom um, to those who would confess that this King is now Lord. And then we live the upside down wisdom of the cross. I mean, in context that we're in now, oftentimes throughout history, the church in times of plague and in times of outbreak and viral outbreak, um, the church would be the first responder. The church would run um, to the places of deepest pain in society and shock the wise of the world, shock Mm -hmm. the Roman uh, and Greek authorities. Like, why are Christians so dumb? Yeah. So so, So disregarding of the self... For the sake of those who are dying, they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Rodney Stark, a church historian, wrote a book about this. Those movements, those cross-shaped movements in nonsensical ways during times of pain, those were moments that turned nations toward God in revival. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like today? Uh, Churches are just beginning to think through how to restructure and how to shape ourselves toward the broken. It's it's the beginning um, of a new era. I think that... This time, I feel like Paul is addressing us almost in this time when he's when he's saying, "Do not deceive yourselves." Yeah, like there is a possibility where we can be self self deceptive people in this time. Yeah, um, to move toward the wisdom of the world because it's easy, it's accessible, it's right there. Um, and Paul's saying, "Don't submit to the wisdom of God, even though it looks." foolish to everyone else. Everyone else is going to think you're crazy for, yeah. for submitting to the wisdom of God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement here. I didn't plan it. might get me in trouble, but <laughs> go a, for it. a good example in the news of the wisdom of the world under crisis right now, toilet paper hoarding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Herd mentality, survival of just me, yeah. <laughs> hoarding just vast amounts of things I do not need. So I feel like I'm in control. Yeah. It's the only reason you would do that with toilet paper when there's plenty to go around. It's human wisdom, man. Or, or beans and rice. <laughs> like, or pasta. The pasta shelves, em- empty. That's yeah. pure. That is herd panic mm-hmm. with zero eye to those beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the cross calls that thinking out mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's why Paul's drawing from, from wisdom literature and the wisdom sayings of Israel is to say, submit to God's wisdom, his ancient wisdom um, that's been available from the time of the garden all the way uh, up until now that we have God's wisdom accessible to us. And and now through the spirit, God's wisdom is accessible if we just listen, still our minds and our hearts before him. And Yeah, to wrap up this, uh, this uh, text, there's three more verses. Um, verse 21 through 23, Paul says, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. <laughs> Why? Next, next four words. He's like, all things are yours. Yeah. Whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the church across the street or the mega church downtown or the online church on your computer, like all things are yours. And then he goes into everything or the world or life or death or the present or future or if the, there's a recession or if there is a economic boom or if all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Yeah. It's such a great way to end the chapter. <laughs> He's uh, like, can, let's just, let's just open up the framework a little bit. Let's, yeah. let's expand our minds to think a little bit more like what Jesus wants us to think Yeah, against the scarcity mindset. 
And it's really rooted in this Abrahamic promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because he's, he's also, he has this beautiful symmetry to what he's doing here because he starts off by saying you're dividing over Paul, over Apollos, yeah. over Cephas. Yeah. And then he says, now, after all of this that we've discussed, if you are living life in the spirit, you, everything is yours. You get them all. Yeah. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, they're yours. You're, Why fighting you over, you're fighting over which teacher is the best, which podcast is the best, and guess what? They're all yours. Yeah. All are yours because you are in Christ, and Christ is in God. And yeah, it's, it's very much that Abrahamic promise of... Uh, God telling Abraham, look to the sky, um, count the stars, count, can you count the sand? Um, it's all going to be yours. It's all going to be yours. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's a message of hope. The gospel is a message of hope. And uh, yeah, I just want to finish by kind of reiterating what we said on Sunday. Um, when God told Abraham... All your children will outnumber the sands of the sea because of who I am. This is because I am God, because I will grow what I want to grow in you. I will establish my presence among you. I will be the faithful one even when you're not, no matter if it doesn't make sense. That promise is carried through the entire storyline. And when it gets to Joseph, I don't know if you've read Genesis 41, uh, this story of Joseph who was in the right place at the right time, uh, and he was filled with the Spirit. After seven years of wealth and abundance, he was given the ability to interpret the culture and interpret dreams. And even Pharaoh, the, the world leader at the time, said, who is, who, who, is there a man in Egypt like this in whom is the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is in this man because he was able to foretell seven years of lack and prepare the land fully. So because of Joseph and his spirit-filled living, God used him to feed hungry nations in a time of famine. Yeah. And that that was the promise of Yahweh's faithfulness at work. Because that same language is in is in the text. Um, the grain, the food, the grain was uh, more than the sand of the sea, beyond number, beyond count, the same exact Hebrew phrase that's used of Abraham's children. And if you follow that phrase through the Old Testament, the sands of the sea, it's always these beautiful stories of God moving in and moving his people toward hope. And here, Paul is picking up on this abundance idea that because God's promise is alive, even if we're facing seven years of famine, then we are that community of hope. The, God, the promise of God's fullness is being, is being worked out through the church, and the hungry world is watching, and the hungry world is searching, and our storehouses are full. We are the community of full storehouses right yeah. now. All things are yours, whether, whether a virus, whether health, whether future, whether past, whether it's raining today or it's not. And I woke up today, it's pouring rain. I'm like, that's a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, all things are yours because the faithfulness of God can't be counted. Yeah. His blessings can't be numbered. His promise can't be contained. He will be faithful to this church and through this church and through the church global to the world. He yeah. will be faithful. And he already is. I saw a list today from a not Christian realtor friend of mine 
who sent, he's like, Evan, I know you're connected to a bunch of religious people. You guys might want this list of places around town that have food banks. Yeah. He, he knows that we're a place that wants to help people. And so he sent this list of all these churches that have food banks right now at certain times, first come, first serve until they're out every day. So great. And, and it was, that list was sent to me because this not yet Christian realtor knows that we are channels of hope. By the way, if you are hungry, if you're needing food, we can get you that list. Just email in parkhillsd.church. Get in touch with us. But the point is we are that community. Our storehouses are full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that this this text too, drawing on that, is is um, just a word for for the church at large during this time. I mean, the question is, do you believe that you have everything mm. uh, in Christ? Mm. Are we operating in that mindset? And I think just like what we talked about in the beginning was was we were operating in the scarcity yeah. mindset and the scarcity spirit was. Um, leaning in on ourselves because we we didn't believe um for for even a half a week we didn't believe that that we have everything in Christ that we are brought into uh, and I love that that image we are uh, I think the ESV it talks about we are Christ's like we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God it's yeah. it's being brought into that triune yep. uh relationship. Amen. And when when you're brought into that triune relationship, we have everything. Amen. And so, yeah, I think that's just the word for for the time that we are in right now. Yeah. Um where people feel scared and alone and isolated. Um we are the people who possess everything yeah. in Christ. Amen. So well done, Scott. Love it. Well, fam, this is, uh, I just called you fam. (laughs) I never say that. Fam. (laughs) Family, Park Hill Church community. Um, This was the first of several weeks of teachings that are coming to you in a conversation format in this way to be discussed in communities over Zoom. If you have questions, all questions hopefully can be answered at parkhillsd.church, how we are rolling out this new way of doing church for the next few weeks. Um, and, and we will see you, we want to see you 10 a.m. worship together uh, through the live stream that will be set up and available at parkhillsd.church. We'll be using YouTube Live and it'll be so exciting <laughs> to see to see us all together and sing to Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Um, As always, if you need anything, reach out. And uh, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. And may his face shine upon you in this time. May he be gracious to you and bring you peace. God bless.